I've never known where I land on cultural appropriation. On the one hand, I'm an Indian Australian who doesn't speak any Hindi, never learnt to make samosas, and visits the temple once every five years. So I've never gotten all that worked up about white hipsters selling turmeric lattes, or Cardi B imitating a Hindu goddess to sell Reeboks. But I also know that for people who feel a deep sense of ownership over their culture, the exploitation of cultural products by outsiders can be very hurtful. Cultural appropriation is the adoption of the customs or practices of a group by members of a more dominant group, often for profit. It's a complex topic that arises in a dizzying array of contexts, from Victoria's Secret pairing sexy lingerie with Native American-inspired headdresses, to Shake Shack selling Korean-style fried chicken. But on the internet, the nuances of any particular case are almost always drowned out. Cultural appropriation. Another example of utter lefty fucking lunacy, okay? My religion is not a fucking aesthetic. Cultural appropriation. Do you know how soft you have to be to give yeah. into that and how, how fucking dumb you have to be to say that? For this podcast, I wanted to get out of the YouTube and college campus bubbles and explore cultural appropriation debates where the stakes really matter in Mexico. This year is the 500th anniversary of the Spanish conquest of Mexico, and now more than ever, accusations of white people profiting from Mexican culture are really striking a nerve. The culture minister has declared war on designers like Louis Vuitton and Michael Kors, accusing them of stealing designs from indigenous artisans. Mattel was widely mocked for its Day of the Dead Barbie, and the knives are out for celebrity chefs like Rick Bayless, a white guy from Oklahoma who has become the face of Mexican cuisine in the U.S. Today it's all going to be about chipotle beef skirt steak tacos. And I'm going to show you my absolutely foolproof, easy way to do that chipotle marinade. So what is the difference between appropriating and appreciating another culture's food? Does selling other people's food build empathy or deprive them of the chance to tell their own stories? Who has the right to profit from Mexican food and who has the right to complain? I'm Nita Rao, and this is Lost in Mexico, a podcast that explores the human side of Mexican life. Over the past six months, I've dived into the spiciest of subjects, the cultural appropriation of Mexican food, asking Mexicans from across the spectrum what they think about this issue. This is a three-part series. In this week's episode, part one, I speak to Mexico's most famous chef, Enrique Olvera, who has been accused of cultural appropriation for selling mole developed by indigenous communities in the state of Oaxaca in his slick Mexico City restaurant. Cooking cannot exist without a certain degree of cultural appropriation. Next week, in part two, I hand the mic to people who disagree with Enrique, activists who think that the appropriation of food exposes the deep race, class and power divides in Mexico. And in part three, I put these arguments to the test going to Oaxaca and asking traditional indigenous cooks what they think about outsiders selling their ancestral dishes. This series challenged so many of my assumptions about how racism plays out in a context very different to the US, about the Western obsession with individual genius, and about what respecting another culture actually means. This is Lost in Mexico. Part 1 who owns Mexican food? Cultural appropriation is fundamentally about ownership. 
This is my culture's food and you can't profit off it. So when I started working on this episode, I wanted to know whether there is such a thing as Mexican food. Food that is distinctly Mexican, that Mexicans have some special claim over. But that's not necessarily the case. Mexicans are fantastic at cultural appropriation, no? (laughs) This is Enrique Olvera, owner of the top-ranked restaurant in Mexico, Puyol in Mexico City, and the top-ranked restaurant in the U.S., Cosme, in New York City. Enrique is famous for taking Mexican food, often reduced in the West to cheap and greasy tacos, into the world of fine dining. He speaks like a Zen monk who somehow found himself selling $150 tasting menus. Talk about a taco al pastor, no? That's a Lebanese kebab. Uh, we took cilantro from Asia. Uh, and you make, it, you make it yours. I don't know, if you think about pasta with tomatoes, that cultural appropriation from noodles from China and tomatoes from Mexico. After growing up in Mexico City, Enrique trained at the Culinary Institute of America in New York before returning to start Puyol at 24. Puyol struggled for several years as a European restaurant and only took off when it started serving dishes inspired by Mexican street food. We saw a lot of the street uh, food carts being busy, so we said uh, that's what people want to eat, no? If people want to eat quesadillas and they want to eat esquites and they want to eat tacos, that is something that we should incorporate into our language. Enrique's success has been a form of translation, taking classic Mexican dishes available on any street corner and adapting them to the tastes and sometimes delicate stomachs, of wealthy tourists. So he doesn't have a problem with non-Mexican chefs doing the same thing. Even though I, uh, I am in love with my country, I'm not a nationalist. I don't believe in a strong national sentiments. I think in cooking, uh, if you're respectful you know, uh, and, and you give credit to the, to the people that... I, I don't believe that I created... Uh, Mole, no? And I don't believe that the tortilla belongs to anyone. Nobody can say that uh, the margarita belongs uh, to them, even if you create it. Because when you're creating, you're not creating from zero. You're obviously incorporating ideas from your life of things that you have uh, tasted. Enrique's signature dish, the dish people travel from all over the world to try, is the mole madre, or mother mole. On Netflix's chef's table, critics raved about his genius creation. I think the dish that Enrique will go down in culinary history for, uh, above all others, is his take on mole. Mole, as we know it today, is a little bit of a melange of Spanish and native Mexican. It's made with chocolate and with nuts and, and all kinds of other ingredients. When I heard about Enrique's preparation of that mole, it it was just so incredible. It's so good, it's so intense, it's so complex, and yet it's so simple. And you think about it, it's it's a triumph of imagination over technique. But amidst all those gushing tributes, Enrique has also been criticized for profiting from a dish that wasn't his to take. To understand why, you need to know a little bit about mole, the sauce often described as Mexico's national dish. Mole has a long history. The word mole was likely derived from the indigenous Nahuatl word for sauce, moli, and some people claim that the last Aztec emperor, Moctezuma, 
served the Spaniard Hernán Cortés Mole in the early 16th century, before Cortés overthrew the Aztecs and imposed centuries of Spanish rule. Many of the most famous moles today are a fusion of indigenous and Spanish influences. As Professor Sandra Aguilar explained to me, Mole is in a way uh, incorporating elements and techniques of indigenous cuisine, but also has these elements from medieval Spain and how that, those even kind of like could be traced back to uh, Islam to and that like back to India in a way. So like the, the tradition of like the curry, for instance, and the merging of all these spices. So mole might be cultural appropriation at its very best, the sumptuous fusion of the delicious bits of different cultures. Enrique certainly seemed to think so. You were in the Atlantic a few years ago mm. saying that you thought that the idea of cultural appropriation in food was, was absurd, mm. and you used mole as an example. Mm. Talk me through that. Of course, there are moles that are native, uh, that are uh, pre-Columbian, but the moles, for example, the conventional moles like the mole poblano is a mix of cultures. So it's, it starts to become, I think, Difficult that that conversation to say who owns what. No, mm. and I, I personally think it's better to think that no food belongs to everyone. Enrique told me that his celebrated mole madre borrows from the black mole prepared in Oaxaca, a complex sauce that blends ingredients endemic to Oaxaca, like chilhuacle chiles, and spices brought by the Spanish, like cloves and cinnamon. The Oaxacan mole takes several days to prepare which means that it is usually made for weddings and other major celebrations and reheated on following days to keep the party going. The mole madre differs in some ways from the Oaxacan tradition. It stands alone on the plate, without the traditional turkey, and is presented as two perfect circles. The outer circle is a black mole that has now been reheated for nearly eight years, and the inner circle is a red mole made fresh daily. If you take Enrique's view, food belongs to everyone, and there's nothing wrong with him adapting a Oaxacan dish for a foreign audience, even though he didn't grow up in Oaxaca. But as we'll explore in part two, some people vehemently disagree. Should a cosmopolitan chef from Mexico City be heralded as an international icon for adapting a traditional dish that is a cornerstone of Oaxacan culture? And then there's the case of Rick Bayless, the celebrity chef that I mentioned earlier. He's a James Beard Award-winning chef who runs a series of spectacularly successful Mexican restaurants in the U.S. Bayless is also a white guy from Oklahoma, and he's been hammered in the U.S. for cultural appropriation, especially after President George W. Bush selected him, instead of a Mexican-American chef, to cook the White House state dinner for the visiting Mexican president, Felipe Calderon. In Bayless's defense, he's a real Mexicophile. He's bilingual, has visited every state in Mexico, and is truly obsessed with Mexican food. On a recent episode of the Sporkful podcast, he responded angrily to accusations of cultural appropriation. Well, usually people that um, have that opinion of me don't want to have a conversation. Um, Those people that say it are usually very political, and they have a mouthpiece, and they just go around saying it, and everybody thinks, oh, lots of people must believe that. And honestly, I don't think they do. Um, I know that there have been a number of people out there that have criticized me only, only (laughs) because of my race, because I'm white, 
I can't do anything with Mexican food. Okay, so you have to stop and say, oh, wait, is that just plain racism then? I asked some top Mexican chefs what they thought about chefs like Rick Bayless winning fame in the U.S. for cooking traditional Mexican food. Jorge Balejo, the head chef of the 24th-ranked restaurant in the world, Mexico City's Quintonil, told me that outsiders are sometimes the most faithful interpreters of traditional dishes. Rick Bayless was a huge fan of Mexican gastronomy. When you love something that much, it's like, imagine if I, I'm so passionate about Japanese culture. I will do whatever I, it's in my, in my possibilities to, to learn about it. Because you don't have this sensation that it belongs to you. You, you turn to be like more uh, meticulous in, in, in study and travel and read. In Puebla, in the shadows of the city's Baroque cathedrals, Augurio's Angel Vasquez prepared me an exquisite 12-ingredient mole poblano using a recipe handed down for over 200 years. Angel's a purist when it comes to traditional poblano food, but he's fine with outsiders like Rick Bayless selling it, so long as they are respectful. Rick, Rick Bayless, uh, he do a, a really good research. He, he come with his staff and he taste and he eat and he learn and then he take it back. I think he knows more than more Mexican really? chefs sometimes. Mm. In Oaxaca, I had a few too many mezcals in the family home of Rodolfo Castellanos, winner of Top Chef Mexico and head chef of Origen. Rodolfo applauded the work of chefs like Rick Bayless. I mean, I really, really admire Rick and everybody that makes Oaxacan food outside of Oaxaca. They're bringing people to Oaxaca. Mm -hmm. They're talking about Oaxaca, about Oaxacan products. They're serving mezcal. They're putting mezcal everywhere. They're putting like chilhuacle, chicatanas, chapulines, Mm -hmm. uh, mole, you name it. Everything, everything that talks about Oaxaca outside of Oaxaca is always good. So for all these chefs, cultural appropriation is a non-issue. And I take their point that food is the wonderful byproduct of cultures colliding and that no person or community can ever truly own a dish. But I still feel conflicted. Surely certain dishes, like the masala dosas I grew up eating, have a special meaning within the community that needs to be respected by outsiders. I went searching for guidance from the godfather of Mexican gastronomy, Ricardo Munoz, the head chef of Azul and author of a magisterial encyclopedia of Mexican food. Ricardo is a mentor to Enrique Olvera and the person who introduced him to the Oaxacan tradition of reheating mole. He has an infectious passion for Mexican food. What we thought would be a one-hour-long interview turned into a five-hour-long discussion about the subtle differences between different chilies, complete with drawings and demonstrations. Ricardo told me that certain dishes, like mole, do belong to the communities where they were developed. The moles belong to certain towns because there are towns that they develop a different kind of mole. If you go to Tlaxcala, there are 17 towns, and each town uh, develops a different kind of mole from very black, reddish, dark reddish, very almost all different colors. And it has different names, like a mole prieto, mole matuma, mole this, mole that. Now, same thing with the black mole of Oaxaca. 
that is something that yes that belongs to there because uh it's uh it's part of the culture and it's one thing for chefs like enrique with successful restaurants and global recognition to say that food belongs to everyone what about the people often women and often indigenous who struggle to make a living cooking the traditional dishes that are sold for exorbitant prices at fancy restaurants next episode on lost in mexico I speak to people with a very different take, who think that foreigners and light-skinned Mexicans have pillaged the cultural heritage of Mexico's indigenous groups. Mexico, in many ways, is as racist a society as the US. This is not an Enrique Olvera recipe, and he didn't learn to make moles in the, in the Culinary Institute of America. I don't really give a fuck about that. I think there is a kind of fake uh, debate were Mexican cooks or anthropologists grasp into buzzwords and uh, try to trade them into, into Mexican problems. Thank you for joining Lost in Mexico. To never miss an episode, hit subscribe in your podcast app and follow us on Instagram at lostinmexico.podcast. We'd love to know what you think. Please leave us a review through Apple Podcasts and send an email to nita at lostinmexico.com. Special thanks to my executive producer and principal food taster, Kieran Ayer. We'll be back in two weeks with part two. See you then.